Amen. You may be seated this morning. How are we? Good. good? All right. Uh, thank you all for braving the cold. Uh, I, I talked to Eric. Apparently, I wasn't the only, um, how can I put, moron? Is that the thing? I'm leaving the, my house at the exact same time I normally would, and I walk outside, and it's a sheet of ice. And I was like, yeah, did not think that through at all. I got here a little bit late thinking, oh, Eric's probably wondering where I am. He was just pulling in because he made the same mistake as well. So, glad everybody's here and they de-iced their car and hopefully did a better job of it than I did. Hopefully, also, the holidays have not worn you down already. Um, I know in the hustle and the bustle of this season, everybody can kind of get worn down and there's just event after thing and all of these things. Uh, and it, it almost, I don't want to say it steals the joy because that's that's a choice, but I feel like we just need a moment, and I pray that today is one of those moments. I pray that as we are here, we just have a moment of just, <sighs> we can breathe, that was loud, we can breathe, and we can say, you know what, Jesus is good, and I'm coming here to worship Him. I mean, we worship Jesus the same way 52 Sundays a year here, so today is really no different other than the, the topic and the subject uh, that we will discuss, but it's all about Jesus, and I pray that we can turn our hearts to Him this morning and have a moment uh, of worship this morning. So today, um, if you haven't already turned there, you didn't turn there as Ivan read that, uh, John 18, 33 through 38. But before we get there, we'll lay a bit of a groundwork. We do sermon series here so that everything always kind of builds upon one another. So by all means, if you weren't here last week and you haven't already, I would encourage you to listen to last week's sermon. It will fill in a little bit of the gaps. But last week, we looked at how Jesus was the Messiah that had been promised. Long, long ago, there was a promise made by God in Genesis chapter 3 that a man was going to come and he was going to crush the head of the serpent. From that day forward, we see in Scripture people longingly looking. Is this the one? Is this the one? Longingly looking for the Messiah. They, they knew the promise had been made and they knew the promise had not yet been kept. They were looking and looking for this chosen one. We see God making more promises of what it would look like and the, what the promised king would look like and how you would know it was him. We also see the Jewish people. These are God's chosen people. And need I remind you, they were chosen by God for no reason in and of themselves. Scripture specifically says, I chose you because you're weak, because you are nothing, because you bring nothing to the table. God chose Israel to be His people for His glory. They were not the LeBron, James, and free agency. They were not the sought-after free agent where every team is looking to sign this guy up or every team is willing to throw the bank at this person. It is nothing like that. They deserved at least, and that showed God's glory most. And that is what God is after. That is what God wanted to do through His people. This is specifically why they were chosen. No other gods were looking to sign them up either, even though there weren't other gods. No one was really seeking after Israel except to dominate them because they were so weak and easy. They needed a rescuer. See, this weakness is why there are also so many times where we see Israel turn their back and turn their back and turn their back. They go worship this God and these people do dominate them and they conquer them. They go worship their God and then it's just a back and forth. It seems like a never-ending cycle. And it never ends well. And it's always because they lose sight of this promise. 
This promise that a Messiah is coming. God is going to take care of Israel, but they lose sight of it in the day-to-day. They lose sight of it when things aren't going their way. Or, well, if God's going to take care of us, then why are these people attacking us? We can't defend ourselves. Or why is this happening? Why is that happening? They fail to trust His plan, especially when it doesn't look like their plan. Now, sometimes they just... (laughs) They just lose sight of it altogether. For It's almost like unexpected. You're reading through Scripture. And, oh, really? We turned there now. Okay. But most of the time, it is because someone has come against them and they're thinking, not us. We're God's chosen people. This can't be... We're following Yahweh. This can't be happening to us. Then they cry out, God, forgive us. God, save us. God, come be with us again. God faithfully does so because He is going to remain faithful to His promise. God forgives them, brings them back into right relationship with Him, brings them back into and reveals more of His plan. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse. This is the Old Testament right here. Over and over again. Israelite turns. They ask for forgiveness. God forgives them. Every time. We saw yet another instance of this last week as we looked specifically at what was going on at the time of Jesus' birth. Last week we sought to answer the question, whom will you serve? The king or so-called kings this earth has set up. This week we will continue that discussion, but we are seeking to answer Pilate's question. What is truth? And then furthermore, why does that matter to us? In today's age, why does this truth matter to every single person sitting in this room? See, time and time again, we see Jesus' followers misinterpret His words, misinterpret His promises to mean something that they don't. They start holding God accountable for promises He never made. And God looks at them and basically says, I never promised to do it that way. That's what you want me to do. I have a different and better plan. There are many times that we, with the benefit of hindsight, look at the Israelites or the disciples, and rightfully so, we go, what was God thinking choosing these people? Like, they continually mess this up. Jesus chose these 12 guys to spread the world, spread the word to the world. These guys, because they don't seem to get anything right. And nothing seems as stark a reminder that we are not so far removed from that as when Christmas rolls around every year. Every year. And I'm not saying specifically that we shouldn't do the things that we do at Christmas. I don't think they're sinful in and of themselves. I also am not a Scrooge. I'm not as into Christmas as some people. uh, But I'm not trying to to badmouth Christmas. But we overemphasize these things too many times. And we throw Jesus on as an addendum. Right? Think about if you were to describe to the wise men specifically what you do at Christmas. And be specific. Don't, don't justify and hedge your bets by saying, well, we do this because of da, 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 Jesus. Just tell them what you do. Hey, wise men, we put up a tree. It's a pine tree. Oh, you don't know what that is because you didn't have those at all in the desert. Okay, well, a pine tree. Okay, then we put these round glass balls on them and lights and then we talk about this guy, Satan, Santa, Santa, Santa. Um, talk about him and reindeer. Oh, you don't know what that is either. And they, they would be looking at us like, well, what about King Jesus? 
Where does he fit in? And we go, well, we go eat and read Luke chapter 1 out loud to our families. Or Charlie Brown, heard of him? No? Nothing? Okay, we watch that every year. Every year. Not as many times we watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, guilty. Watched it twice already. Um, but, man, we, we really make it about Jesus. And they're like, do you make it about Jesus? Well, we go to church the Sunday closest to Christmas. Unless Christmas happens to be on a Sunday, then we got to open our presents. So, oh, we forgot to tell you, everyone gets presents. Everybody. Isn't that cool? I, I, yeah, I know it's Jesus' birthday and we all get presents, but you, you understand, right? The wise men would think we were crazy. They would wonder... Where's Jesus in all of it? And again, please, if you do all of those things, because I was using myself, we do all of those things. But we miss Jesus. It is during this time that we almost forget the rest of the story. We, we hype up Jesus' birth. It's this beautiful moment. And it is. We should celebrate it. We absolutely should celebrate it. But we cannot forget that there was a reason he was born, and it wasn't just for a birthday. So we fast forward. We don't have much on Jesus' childhood. It's not that that's not important, but God chose not to put it in there. There's a couple stories, but not really much. And it's not that it's not important, but no matter what Jesus' childhood looked like, it was going to end here at John 18. It was going to come to fruition here in John 18. In this passage, See, Jesus has already been arrested in the garden. He was praying. He was asking God, is there another way to carry out this plan? Keep in mind, Jesus came up with this plan. This wasn't thrust upon Jesus unwillingly. This wasn't God saying, oh, you're going to do it like we do with our kids. Right? This is Jesus' plan from millions of years ago. The Godhead came up with this to redeem His chosen people. Jesus was in on this. He agreed to it. However you want to phrase that. But He was there in the planning stages to say, yes, this is what we are going to do. And it says in Luke 22 that Jesus is in agony over it. Now I want to choose my words very carefully. I had a very interesting discussion with a friend of mine who uh, knows the Bible very well, was Jesus fearful here? Was He afraid here? I, I, I can't answer that. It kind of depends on if you look at fear as a sin in and of itself. We'll talk about that in a moment. But did He fear the cross? I don't know. But scriptural language said He was agonizing over it. He was in deep agony. He was, again, careful word, struggling with what is about to happen. He did not, if there was any other way, he didn't want to go through with the cross. But he knows there's not another way. He was there in the planning stages. He knows there is no other way to redeem his people. There, and if it comes down to doing it a different way and not redeeming his people, he's going to go through with this plan. Think about this the next time you think your plan is better than God's plan and you want to change it. God Himself 
came up with the plan. He didn't question it. That's definitely not the word I want to use. But he was at the end going, man, I do wish there was another way because this is going to hurt. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. If I could redeem my people without having to go through that, I would. But I love them too much to change the plan. But we come up with our own plan and then what do we do? Man, pray for this. Pray God will bless it. That's, that's, why don't you just get into God's plan? The one He's already said He was going to bless, just get over there in that instead of making up your own plan and then asking God to bless it. Jesus Himself came up with this plan was asking for another way, not from a sinful place, but in agony over it. And yet we come up with our plans thinking somehow this is better. I know God said do it this way, but this is better. And it's just like the Israelites. It's exactly what they were doing over and over and over and over again. Oh, we'll go over here and do this. We'll worship this God because He, she, it promises this. And that's what we want. So let's go over here and get it. And the devil who is in said God over here is like, yeah, I'll give you that if that makes you question the God you're supposed to worship. So it keeps going. And again, same thing happens to us. Also though, I want you to remember this the next time you are asking God where He is. When you feel so far from Jesus that you don't know what you are going to do. Remember that many times this means you are in His will and He is teaching you something. He is drawing you back into submission to His plan. Because the Israelites felt very far from God when they were being dominated by whoever the ites over here. And God was, had them right where He wanted them. Because this plan was going to happen. See, what happens here is Jesus ends up asking God to change the plan, knowing it's not going to change. Because He also knows He is then going to submit by saying, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus in His humanity agonized, felt forsaken in the garden. In His humanity begged for another way. Jesus in His divinity though knew this was the only way. In His divinity knew this was His very own plan from the beginning. And in His humanity and His divinity fully submitted to the Father's will in order to save a lost humanity that had turned their back on Him over and over and would continue to turn their back on Him over and over. May we remember this response of Jesus the next time we are afraid and we lose sight. May we remember the next time we're... What are you, what are you doing, God? I'm following you in this... Because that's what the Israelites would say, right? This is what you do. We are your people. This is how you treat us Remember this response because Jesus, unlike sinful Israel, did not come up with a new plan. Stuck with the plan they had set in motion because He knew it was the best plan. Not my will, but Your will be done. This must be our response at Christmas and every other day of the year when we are wondering what is happening. 
See, I do not know if fear in and of itself is a sin. I know the Bible says do not fear. It also says fear the Lord. If a grizzly bear is running at you, fear is what tells you to run. I don't think it's sinful to do that. Therefore, there are definitely caveats to this. But I do know that giving in to that fear and not trusting God is sinful. It's not a sin to ask God to remove pain and suffering from your life. I do know that for sure. Pray that all day long. Ask us, we'll pray for you. It is not a sin. But it is a sin to at the end of that, no matter the answer God gives you, yes, no, maybe, later, any of those, it is a sin to respond with anything. But God, I trust you. Not my will, but your will. I want my desires to equal your desires. You see, this moment in the garden had to come. It had to come so that we could get to the next moment that we are seeing here in John 18. He was arrested. In that garden he was praying in, he was arrested. He was tried before a high priest who sent him on to Pilate. And this is where we pick up. Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? It's a point blank question. Say yes or no. Yep. Nope. Could answer it in any way. But if <laughs> Jesus doesn't give yep and nopes. Read the scripture. There's not in there. Pilate would basically, though, have just been filled in on what even was going on. They would just plop Jesus there. Hey, this is what he's doing. This is why he's on trial. This is why we're bringing him to you. Pilate probably had no real knowledge of what was going on before he kind of met Jesus face to face. There's probably a little rumblings, but for the most part, this was all hearsay. Jesus knows that these aren't really Pilate's words. Pilate is not accusing Jesus of this. He's just asking the question. He's kind of doing the investigation, trying to figure out what to do. So Jesus answers his question, as he always does almost, with a question. He says, do you say that? Or did you just hear people tell you to ask me if I'm the king of the Jews? And Pilate says to him, rightfully so, look, man, I didn't bring you here. This ain't... This ain't my deal. I did not get you here. I didn't ask for you to come here. You were placed here by your people. Your chosen people. He doesn't say chosen. as hindsight. But your people. The Jews sent you here. The high priests. The highest of the high of the Jews sent you here. And here is the ironic part of this whole thing. The chief priests are bringing Jesus to the Romans to execute judgment because Jesus came along and didn't set up an earthly kingdom. This is what they wanted. They were notoriously against the Roman government. They, we are the chosen people of God. You can't have the power. We should get the power. When this Messiah comes along, you just wait. And then Jesus comes along claiming to be this Messiah and He's not doing that. So they're like, now nah, we got to get rid of this guy. So they... Isaiah 9 says a child would be born and the government would be upon his shoulders. They took this very literally. They took this right now. They took this earthly kingdom. It, we belong to God. God's going to set up a kingdom through us. We are going to be the most powerful people and these Romans are going to get kicked out. Jesus answers that question in a few moments. But the chief priests are now falsely accusing Jesus of exactly what they wanted Jesus to do. Here is, here is what's funny is had he done what they wanted him to do, they would have never brought him to trial. Yet, he would have actually been guilty of what they were saying he was guilty of now. That is Atlantis Morissette right there. 
Isn't it ironic that he's not doing what they want him to do, so they're accusing him of what they wanted him to do. I can't even say it right without thinking it through. But that is exactly what is happening. They wanted an earthly kingdom. Jesus says here in just a moment, it's not the kind of kingdom I got. It's not the kind of kingdom I'm setting up. So they want to get rid of him because they want a Messiah. They want a new plan. They want a new chosen one, Israelites. They want a new God who will give them what they want. But, in God's sovereignty, here Jesus stands, answering questions from a man. The only reason Pilate cared, he just wanted to make sure his power was preserved, right? Is Jesus a threat? If so, I'll get rid of him. If he's not a threat, I don't really care. That's basically what you see here. He just wanted to make sure he was safe. His power was safe. Right now, most of you are probably going, what in the heck does this have to do with Christmas? I came here to get my holly jolly and just go back home, sit by the fire. See, Jesus answers the chief priest's misinterpretation first. says, even though you thought it was, even though you wanted it to be, even though you think it would be better if it were the case, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it was, it wouldn't be that great anyway. Because kingdoms of this earth fail and cycle through and new ones are set up and it won't last. I am setting up a more glorious, more powerful, eternal kingdom. And that is what you should want. Just wait. It's a better plan. They wouldn't trust it. They wouldn't believe it. Jesus says that He is King. But then He says what it has to do with Christmas. He tells Pilate, I was born literally born for this moment. The whole plan brought me here. You see, lots of people, more than I'm even going to name here, thought they were in charge of getting Jesus to that platform. Judas thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with a new plan. Judas thought, I'm he thought he was so responsible for getting Jesus to this moment that he killed himself for it. The chief priests were trying to get rid of this false Messiah who wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. Here, Pilate, take care of this. Caiaphas, Annas, these are two other priests that sent him to Pilate. They thought they were in charge and powerful enough to do this. Then Pilate felt like he literally had life and death, and physical life and death he did have in his hands. And what do we see Jesus tell them? No matter what, no matter what you think, no matter what you say, no matter what you believe, no matter who is, isn't involved, Caiaphas, Annas, who cares? I was coming to this moment and I was going to be standing right in front of you, in front of all of these people, testifying to the truth. No matter what you do, what you don't believe about me right here in this moment, God was bringing me here. God was bringing me right here. He caused me to be born into this world so that I can be standing right here testifying to this truth. Jesus reminds them He is King. He is in control. He is sovereign. No one thwarts God's plans. No one takes God's plan and twists it to make it better or to make it their own. God has a plan. God is carrying out that plan. And here I stand, Pilate. Here I stand. John 10, 17 and 18. Jesus is talking before all of this. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. 
I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. God gave me a plan. I'm carrying out that plan perfectly. So you may think you've twisted it up and that I shouldn't be standing here and oh no, what if he does this or what if he does this? I was born for this moment, Pilate. I was born to be standing here. Jesus was king before he was born. Therefore, he was in charge of making this moment even happen. And now he's telling Pilate to his face, your power is safe because I wasn't born to be king. I was born the king. I wasn't a boy trying to become king. I was a boy king. I'm not vying for your throne. I left my throne to come here, to stand here, to tell you who I am and to tell all of these people listening. This was my plan. It's not your plan, Pilate. And I have a throne that I'm going back to and I will sit on it forever. He doesn't say, Pilate, you're going to die. But Pilate, everybody dies. Pilate's going to die. His throne is gone. Jesus will sit on his forever. This is the truth Jesus said he was born to testify to. Ultimately, he is the truth, but this is the truth about the truth. If that makes sense. He was born for this moment. And all the ones that follow up to his cross and resurrection. He was born into this world so that all of that would come to fruition. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus coming into the world, being born into God's eternal plan of redemption, God orchestrating every last second of that plan in order to bring that plan of salvation to the world to fruition. For the redemption of our souls, for the reconciliation of our sinners. And if there was no Judas, if there was no Pilate, if there was no Annas or Caiaphas or any of those people, it was still going to happen. It would have just been other names filled into those gaps. So I have a confession. I don't keep a diary. I probably should, to be honest. We'll call it a journal, man it up a little bit. I should probably keep a journal. But I don't. However, if I did, most of what you're getting ready to hear is what I would have written in there this week. So, I don't know if it's necessary, but I apologize if this sounds like a diary entry from here on out until the end. But this week has been a unexpectedly, because Christmas, I'm just going to preach Christmas, man. It's Advent, coming of Jesus, He's coming again. Woo! It's unexpectedly very convicting to me. There have been some unforeseen things that I didn't see coming happen here, there, and everywhere in my life. Uh, really opened my eyes to some sin issues that I've been blinded to until Christmas. Sermon prep is what led me to these moments of brokenness this week. This has probably been the hardest I've ever struggled at writing a sermon, and I picked the text. Eric told me months ago, hey, you're preaching, which me and Brian switched, that's a different story, but told me months ago, you'll be preaching during Advent. Whatever you want, which by the way, I hate, but every preacher probably hates that because you spend like three months picking the text and then like two days writing the sermon because you spent so long t- picking the text. But not me. I picked this text like two weeks ago. I texted Eric and Todd, hey, nobody take John 18.33. Nobody was thinking about taking John 18.33-37. Don't take that. That's what I'm preaching. And yet it was 
the hardest week of sermon prep I've ever had in my short stint preaching. I have wept. There was one time I told Steph, I was like, hey, I need to go work on my sermon for a little while. I went upstairs. I cried for about 45 minutes and I came back down. She goes, did you get anything done? Eh. Heart work. Is that, <laughs> can't really write that down on paper, but yeah, God was really moving. Um, I've prayed and prayed. I have felt overwhelmed. I have put pressure on myself. It's Christmas, man. You got to come up with a new way of blah, blah, blah. But I've also spent much time contemplating God's goodness to me in those moments. And God's grace to me in my sin that I have probably been doing for a long time. I'm going to try not to cry. See, I believe wholeheartedly everything I just said to you. Every, however many minutes this has been going. Everything I believe. I trust God. He's in control. I know He is. I know He is in control. I know He is sovereign. I tell people all the time that I think God is so sovereign that the dust particles floating around in this room, God put here. Don't know why, maybe for this example. But they're here for a reason. That's how sovereign I truly believe God is. Verbally. Because I don't live that way a lot of the time. I sometimes, many times, more times than I want to admit today, live as if God needs me. I have to be there. I have to do this. I have to talk to that person. I have to do this. I put pressure on myself as if I weren't part of God's plan. Somehow it would crumble. I arrogantly think that somehow I have control over my own life, my own outcomes. But I even more arrogantly think I have control over other people's lives and their outcomes. If I had been there instead of this person, or if I had said this instead of that, I think I need to do this or that to fix what is happening. That I have the answers. My initial response is not to pray, it is to go fix something, or to go talk to that person. I lose sight of the fact that God had a plan a long time before I came along. And He's going to have a plan a long time after I am gone. And there is nothing, not one single thing I can do in this life. Now, are we called to be faithful and responsible and obedient? Yes. Because that is part of God's plan. But if I'm not faithful and I'm not obedient, guess what? God has a plan. If Pilate had said, you know what? Go free, Jesus. Barabbas. No, he, he's done. God still would have gotten Jesus to that cross. It was God's plan. And I say things, and I mean them. I really do. I really mean them. That I want God to be glorified. I truly mean that. Jesus, I want you to be glorified. But man, I want Justin to be glorified too. Just a little. Like not more than. It's nothing like that. I want Him to have the most glory. But daggone it, I want a little bit. I want a little bit of credit. I have listened to the song All Glory Be to Christ countless times this week. 
Never, I'd heard it before, but I had not heard the version that I found this week. Blah 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 blah. I've had that thing on repeat to remind myself all glory goes to Christ. All glory belongs to Him. Not even a little tiny sliver belongs to me or you or Pilate or Judas. It's all glory to Christ and it has broken me every time I've heard it. I asked Eric if we could sing it this week. He said no, thankfully, because I definitely would have cried back there. Then I'd have come up here. <laughs> Jesus and Christmas. This is why I try to be so strong. That's why I try to be Superman to everyone and put more and more effort into things and to not say no to people and put more on my plate. And It's not so that Christ will be glorified. It's so Christ and Justin will be glorified. And I don't go around touting all the things that I do, but man, I get mad when you don't notice. If I do a bunch of stuff at home that Steph wasn't expecting, she comes home and she mentions one, I am grateful she noticed that I did that one thing. But why didn't she mention the other four? Why didn't she thank me for these four? If I do something for someone... I don't tell everybody, but then I hear someone give credit to someone else because they thought they like, man, Jonathan did this really cool thing, but I actually did it. I'm not mad at Jonathan, but I'm mad at whoever said that. Just FYI to all y'all. Because I want some of the glory. Then someone, usually my wife, will lovingly say, don't you think you're putting a little too much on your plate or spreading yourself a little too thin? Should I say this to her too? Maybe she, we're just a family of this. I don't know. And she can probably tell you what I say to her every time because I say it every time. I And I quote, I'll be all right. I'll be okay. I don't deny that I'm overloading myself. I don't deny that I'm that I am uh, mentally trying to glory steal from Jesus. Because if that was the case, I'd be convicted and I could pray and repent in that moment. But I don't even, up until this week, I don't even know that I noticed that that's what I was doing. It was, I'll be alright. And this would be an extremely faithful thing to say if I was saying somewhere in my head, I'll be alright because God is good. God is faithful. God is just. God is merciful. God will make me alright because God is awesome. And that is not what I am saying. Thinking I'll be alright because I'm Justin Crow, on it. And I'm always alright. I'm always strong enough. I am always good enough. I am always enough. This is what I've mistakenly been thinking for I don't know how long, to be quite honest. Through some unforeseen circumstances, I won't bore you with the details this week in some areas of my life, God has lovingly and painfully reminded me that you are not in control of anything. 
Not only do I now know I don't have all the answers, I don't have to be strong, that I am not enough, but graciously, He has shown me that He is. He is in control. He has all the answers. He is strong enough. He has a plan for my life, for y'all's life, for everyone's life. And that plan is so much better than mine. When I'm crying in the garden, God, isn't there another way? Isn't there another way you can accomplish what you want to accomplish without me having to suffer through something? Or without me having to have this... Because I would much rather not be up here talking about this. I'd rather be, ho, 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 it's Christmas. Let's go sit around the Christmas tree. But I don't have to be strong enough. It's a very freeing thing for me to say. It, some of y'all are like, this guy's a pastor, really? Like, I'm following that guy? Great. But I cannot tell you how freeing it has been to just say, I'm not enough and I don't have to be. I am too weak to do this without Him doing it for me. Even saying that out loud to you, I was actually like, when, when before everybody showed up on this side of the room except Megan, she was here on time, everybody, I was like, man, I don't have to confess in front of that many people. Hot dog, this is awesome. And then all y'all came in. Anyway. You see though, I'm not mad at myself. I'm not convicted because I now see that I'm not necessary. Oh, I'm not necessary. That's freeing. I'm mad and convicted because I ever thought that I was. And I'm further mad and convicted because I still kind of want to be. That's the worst part. I'm repenting, but I'm still like, but I do still kind of want to be a part of this plan. I do still want people to talk about the thing... Man, I want people like Billy Graham, they, everybody, when he died, everybody was like, you know how many people are going to be waiting at the gates to thank you when you come in? Which, hopefully they're all thanking Jesus and they're like, Billy who? But I want that. I want people waiting for me at the door. Billy Graham, <laughs> Justin Crow is here. I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling to embrace this as the greatest news of all time because it is that I am not needed, that you are not needed, that none of us are needed. God has a plan. That plan will come to pass. And one of the greatest things I've ever heard Jesus say or read that heard, I was there, Jesus say when they were like, hey, you're going to let these people just keep praising you? I could stop them, but the rocks would cry out. That is incredibly freeing for me to know that he could use a rock instead of me. But it hurts. Just going to be honest with you. But this weakness in me, don't know if y'all are identifying, but this weakness is why this plan had to be implemented in the first place. Because we are all weak. We are all sinners. We cannot do this on our own. We have to be rescued. A rescuer must come. And the king has truly come and we're too busy to notice because we're trying to be kings ourselves. We all look at Pilate. What a jerk. He could have freed Jesus. That's what we're doing. We just want to preserve our own power. That's all we're doing. We're checking into this Jesus thing to make sure He's still going to give me what I want. He's still going to let me do my plan the way I want to do it. 
And it may not be the same sin issue that I have, but we've all got them. We've all got this sin issue where you want Jesus, hands off, Jesus. This is mine. This is my throne. I will sit here. You sit on your throne. Christmas marks that this plan started. That this plan was coming into our world. I read from a devotional this week. It says this. It says, See, the meaning of the season is not only Jesus' birth, but the purpose for His birth. The manger is not the setting of a peaceful and gentle gift from God to a cozy world. The cradle is occupied by Christ because our world is at odds with Christ. The birth of Jesus ought to be a shock, shock us as much as the flood of Noah. God has entered the world to see it judged, reconciled, and saved. When the angels sing joy to the world, the Savior's come. The angels are saying the world is in need of a Savior. We are in need of judgment for sin, reconciliation for the effect of sin, and salvation from the result of sin. Christ's first coming is the introduction to His great passion for the world. It is the beginning of His death and resurrection. Jesus was born on death row for our sake. That blew my mind this week. That Jesus started His plan on death row knowing. Now I don't know if He knew as a kid and all. But He knew beforehand that I'm getting ready to go into this sinful world and they're going to kill me for something I didn't do. That I don't deserve. I deserve their honor, worship, and praise and they're going to kill me. This is the truth. Jesus came to save sinners when we, like the Israelites, deserved it the least. Jesus came to save sinners when we, like the Israelites, continually turned away from Him over and over. Jesus came to save sinners because we were far too weak to save ourselves. Jesus had a plan from the beginning to orchestrate His life to come to this moment so that He could testify to the world who He was. That this was His rescue mission. He had a plan for His Glory to be revealed to the world in the weakness of sinners. And here's the light bulb moment for me. Here's where many preachers may go off on a tangent. God has a plan for your life. He's going to get you there. And he's got, He loves you. His eyes are on the sparrow. All true. Not even Not doubting that at all. He will get you where you were meant to be? Yes. 100%. 100% agree with that. But all of those things are only true. God only has a plan for your life as it pertains to His glory. That's it. There is no my glory and Justin's glory combined. He has a plan for my life to glorify Himself. And this is where God was most gracious to me this week. God has a plan for God. Jesus has a plan for Jesus. And here's the better part. God having a plan first and foremost for Himself is so much better than Him having a plan just for me. Because I get raptured into, and I don't, not Revelation raptured, I just get pulled into this plan of His glory. 
I get to over experience the overflow of His plan for Himself. The way we get to be a part of His plan is He pulls us in and uses us to glorify Him and Him alone. We, like the Israelites, for no reason outside of ourselves whatsoever, get to be beneficiaries of this plan so that He gets all, all the glory. He did not enter our world. He did not enter our plan. God was doing what God was planning from before time began. Jesus came to integrate us into His plan. That's why He showed up. This is Christmas. God infiltrating this world because we are so weak, we needed to be rescued. So, it's such great news. Our our boy, the 12th, 13th disciple, whatever, Charles Spurgeon, once said, I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my need. God is lovingly reminding me, and hopefully you, this Christmas, that I have a great need to be rescued, but I have a great rescuer for my need. He was born for this very thing. He orchestrated every last moment from the manger to the resurrection to show the world, this is my plan, this is how you fit into it. And now here we are in this moment that he also orchestrated from time began. Every person in this room is here because God has you here in this moment. He is that sovereign dust particles. Listen up. But what truth are you believing? Is Jesus truly king of your life right now? This is why Jesus came. He is the king. Your response is why Christmas matters. He lived his whole life. That is God's plan for that purpose so his truth could be proclaimed. So then we are sitting here in this moment call, being called to a response. What do we do with King Jesus? This is, why, this is the truth. This is why it matters to all of us. Because every last one of us, every one of us in this room, I don't care how old or young, are wretched, abominable, disgusting, terrible, horrible, fill-in-the-blank sinners. Every one of us. Not some are worse than others. Not, oh yeah, I know about them. All of us. Every last one of us. We have no hope of rescuing ourselves at all. And if the story ended there, it would be the worst news of all time. But Christmas... But Christmas, we needed rescue. God was too loving, too kind, too merciful, too gracious to go, those people need to be rescued and not rescue us. So He sent Jesus to do the only way it could be done. This is why the plan couldn't change when Jesus was asking in the garden. This is the only way. Someone had to pay. Someone had to rescue. That person is Jesus. What do you do with King Jesus? Let's pray.